think I know the one I'll tell. Yeah. Pretty good one. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Welcome to the Last Drinks Podcast. I'm your host, Will Hitchens, and my guest today is a professional surfer and mental health advocate. He's the founder of the Good Human Factory, where mental health is done a bit different, and he is currently partaking in, or committed to 12 months off the alcohol, which he documents on his own podcast, The Good Humans Podcast. Sounds like a good human. Let's find out. Here's Cooper Chapman. G'day, mate. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Yeah, it's good to have you. Um, yeah, so we've been sort of touching back and forth and it's good to sort of um, sit down and do this conversation. Um, part of the reason I was reaching out was because, oh, yeah, you've committed yourself to 12 months off the alcohol. I just interviewed um, this girl, Brooke, who's one of the... Uh, founders of the Health Hedges Run Club, and she's doing the same thing. She's quitting for a year. So, how far are you in at the moment? I just hit six months last six week, months so nice. I'm halfway there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I think I got the easy half done first yeah. because I started right around my 28th birthday, um, early May. Mm. And yeah, now I just hit six months, and now I'm starting to realize all right, we've got summer coming up. This is where it's going to start getting yeah. tricky with Christmas, New Year's, plenty of music festivals, and Everyone knows how good a cold beer is in the mm. summer, but no, I'm looking forward to kind of pushing myself and mm. trying to notice how often alcohol comes up and just sort of building that self-awareness and that self-discipline not to fall into that trap of the alcohol marketing that we always get pushed on us mm. in the Australian culture of alcohol drinking. Yeah. So I guess take us back to, we can go before the six months. What was your relationship with alcohol prior to that Um yeah, so we sort of start. To, we'll go to the beginnings of Cooper and having a beer. <laughs> um, I mean, I guess the beginnings of Cooper having a beer. I grew up in um, a surf community down in Sydney called North Narrabeen, and oh, 13 years ago now, culture was a bit different. I think with like young people drinking. I think. I mean, I still think it's there. Like kids are still going to start drinking at 15, whatever. Mm. So when I was about 14, I want to say I started drinking like not a lot a lot but every now and then and then from like 16 I was probably drinking most weekends with my mates sneaking around going to parties um I think just like any young Australian guy played around with drinking most weekends drank probably too much most weekends mm. and didn't really understand the effect and the long-term effect that it might have on me I think there's such a lack of education around school uh when it comes to alcohol consumption and what it does to us and then, yeah, I've been a professional surfer, travelled the world for the last 10 years, getting to have the most amazing experiences in the most amazing places and every event, it would end in a big party. And mm. likewise, when I was at home with my friends, it's always stuff on every single weekend. I'm very lucky to have a great network of people around me from highly successful athletes to DJs and a whole range in between. So there's always something on and there's always a reason to drink. So my relationship with alcohol, with alcohol I don't think has been super bad but I definitely am very conscious there was many times throughout my surf career where I'd be like all right I've got to stop for a month or two and try and commit to it just for my performance and would do a month or so here and there but then would always come back to it and I watched my dad sort of suffer with alcohol addiction throughout my teen years he had a bit of a problem would sort of drink a bit too much quite often and that made my mum and his relationship a little bit rocky and then my mum gave him an ultimatum about 10 years ago now it's either me or the alcohol and he chose her. So he hasn't had a drink in 10 years. So I think mm. I've had a really good role model around stopping drinking alcohol that I haven't quite noticed until I've stopped. Mm. He keeps telling me like, now you know how I feel. Like I've always wanted to crave and just have a beer, but there's things that are more important, like my relationship with your mother. And same thing for me, I'm beginning to realize now my 
relationship with the people around me and also my career is in a position that without alcohol has just been so accelerated and it took yeah until taking some time off to realize the effect that it does have on me in everyday life and mm. i think most people are a bit in denial about it and i think yeah. i was as well until i stopped i didn't realize the effect it does have on me mm. and so what prompted sort of okay i'm going to quit for 12 months and sort of yeah see what happens what sort of brought up that uh, decision it had been on my mind for a while. I was like, surely my business will pick up pace if I stop drinking. And then I have a podcast as well, like you mentioned before, called Good Humans, where I speak to a range of incredible guests from athletes to doctors. And I've spoken to a few neuroscientists. And I spoke to this awesome lady by the name of Dr. Nicole Vignola from um, over in the UK on Zoom back in April. And on that episode, we spoke about the effects of a whole range of things on the brain from um, drugs, alcohol, to sleep, to meditation, to gratitude. And when we started speaking about alcohol, it was just like this prompt and I just felt something in me go like, you know what, I'm going to take a year off. Mm. I'm going to use this podcast as a public way to announce that I'm going to take a year off. And that was my accountability that I needed. And yeah, since I released that podcast, I think it was like April 25th or something. I don't know exactly what date I started, but the whole mm. range... Um, reason was I was like, I turned 28 next week. I turned 28 on the 10th of May. And I was like, legally, I've been drinking for 10 years when I turned 28. And if I can't give myself a year off, then who's in control? Me or the alcohol companies and the addiction, even if it is once or twice a month, it still is falling to that pressure of drinking because you either want to escape or you want to celebrate. But I just kind of started to question it. And once I got a bit more information about the negative effects alcohol does have on our brain and our overall health, long-term and short-term, yeah, that was that driving factor for me to go, you know what, I'm going to take a year off and haven't really looked back since. Six mm. months, I've been doing a podcast episode every week on a Monday on Good Humans Podcast, sort of documenting the journey, sharing what works for me, what's been challenging, sharing the financial, emotional, social um, challenges and things that have come up for me. But overall experience has been incredible i've had so much support from the people around me from the community who do support the good human factory they've um really got behind it i get people every single day sending me messages saying i've inspired them to take a bit of time off which wasn't initially the reason why i did it i did it completely for myself mm. but now i understand the effect based on the community and the reach my platform sort of does have now that i can yeah positively change a lot of people's lives just by showing what happens for me yeah that's great and I guess we can, you mentioned sort of the challenges that you've had to face. What in the, I guess, usually sort of in the early sort of stages of, I guess, when people are sort of, I guess, making a habit change, what are the challenges that you faced in particular with um, quitting drinking um, in the beginning? Um, I mean, one thing, I'm a part owner of Gravity Seltzer, which is an alcohol company. So when we dropped <laughs> a new flavor a few months ago, I wasn't allowed to try it based mm. on, um, yeah, obviously not drinking. So that was a bit of a challenge, but... I don't know. I don't, there's been moments where I'm like, oh, I'd love to have a beer. The the ones that the, I feel like I'm missing out the most is just like a beer or a glass of wine at dinner. Mm -hmm. Whereas going out and partying, I've kind of said to myself, like, you know what? I don't need to go out and get loose for a little while. I've done that for so long. Mm. Um, I've had such an amazing time and I will continue to do like going out and doing fun stuff. I just won't drink. So I've still been going out, watching my friends DJ, staying out late, but I've just been realizing I don't need to stay out past that sort mm. of 11 or midnight because it's only, you ever, you kind of only chasing your tail. I feel like once you get past like midnight, it's like mm. you're just trying to hang on to 
the good time. Whereas now I'm kind of like, I go out, experience what I go out to experience, get to have great conversations with people, remember it the next day and get to wake up on a Sunday and not be hungover. And I've learned that so often I would use a hungover Sunday and tell myself mentally that that's my rest day. Mm-hmm. Whereas now I'm noticing that now I'll have a Sunday where I don't do much and I just watch movies and chill out, but I'm actually recovering. Whereas mm-hmm. when you're yeah, having a day hangover on a Sunday, your body is just getting you back to like your baseline, whereas you're not getting any recovery for your weekend. So yeah, there's there's been, I wouldn't even say that many challenging moments. I think for me, because I've made it public and because I've got the accountability of people around me and the podcast... I haven't even really thought about it. It's not even an option on my mind to have a drink. So I'm just like, eh, whatever. I've committed to it. I'm doing it. So here we go. Here we go. And would you say like being open about it and, you know, committing, all right, I'm going to commit to 12 months and then doing the weekly sort of posts on your podcast, yeah, is is a good sort of incentive to keep you going and accountable for sure? Yeah, absolutely. And I think obviously it's a little bit different for me because I do have a bit of a platform and people – come up to me whenever I go to bars and stuff normally and go like, oh, you're drinking? Like people follow the podcast so they kind (laughs) of keep me accountable too. But no, I've just sort of, I mean, having the accountability has definitely helped. I think like the people around me as well are supportive of it. They know that I'm doing it now. So most, what I'd realised the first few weeks, I'd say to someone, they'd be like, do you want to drink? And I'd be like, oh, I'm not drinking. And you'd get that like, oh, come on, mate, sure, you just have a drink. And then I'd be like, no, and explain why I'm doing it. Well, I want to take off a year off. It's good for my health. I understand the negative effects of alcohol. And I'm just trying to, yeah, take a bit of responsibility. And then most people's response is like, oh, I wish I could do that. And then I get to like start a conversation. It's like, why don't you think you could mm-hmm. do that? And that's really what I'm trying to do with my business is just try and inspire people to make positive changes in their life. And um, alcohol was a massive positive change for me. Mm-hmm. And I guess because, yeah, your background is a professional surfer, what's the surfing culture and alcohol like that? I mean, being um, quite a very, I mean, one of the, I mean, particularly where we are, where we are on the Gold Coast, I mean, I don't know if you've been hitting, out, hitting, it, hitting the waves here lately, like <laughs> there's a big surf after some big storms, but um, it's a quite a popular sport here. And, yeah, what's the sort of culture in surfing? And, you know, is there a lot of partying sort of post sort of surf competitions around around there? Absolutely. Surfing, alcohol is ingrained in surfing. I think alcohol is ingrained in most sports for celebrating and getting around, yeah, sort of letting loose. I think just athletes in general, there's so much pressure that comes with being a professional athlete. There's so much training and dedication that goes in behind the scenes that once an event's over, it is nice to have something like alcohol to help sort of relax and de-stress. But I'm kind of transitioning out of professional surfing right now my business has taken over so much of my time. So Mm -hmm. I'm just sort of surfing for the enjoyment out of it and just prioritizing different things. For instance, there was on Monday night was a night that I would have loved to have some drinks. Uh, Two of my friends won world titles at Nitro World Games who were both ambassadors for me for the Good Human Factory. Mm -hmm. Um, Harry Bink in freestyle motocross landed the first ever triple backflip on a motocross in in an event. And he's like one of my best mates. I've been there with him over the last couple of weeks, watching him train, getting inside his mindset and really trying to, yeah, help him in any way I can. And then he achieved what's probably the biggest dream of his life. And I was there to watch. And then I spoke to him (laughs) the 24 hours later and he was still on a bender. And I was like, I'm glad I'm not on the bender, but I would have loved to go and have a few beers Mm. just to celebrate. So there's definitely sacrifices that come with it, but I think the pros far outweigh the con. Mm. So, yeah, I mean, people here yeah, talk about FOMO, I guess, it's missing out um, and differentiating 
yeah, sort of taking the alcohol out of the experience. Like you can still sort of have a good time. Um, and I guess that's what I've had to sort of explore as I've sort of cut it out entirely. But I guess, yeah, so, you know, you've got six months to go. Have you given any thought to, um, you know, the end, the end of the road at 12 months and sort of thinking, okay, you ba- are you sort of looking at alcohol a lot differently now that you've cut it out for this period of time? Yeah, absolutely. And what you were just going off then, going out and still having a good time, I've noticed something that's really helped me is having a whole range of non-alc drinks out there now. I've mm. done some work with Yes You Can um, drinks who do some awesome different mixed drinks that are non-alcoholic, like a gin and tonic, a dark and stormy, an Aperol spritz, and then also Gravity Seltzer, my seltzer company. We do a, we do one non-alc flavor, but we're bringing out four non-alc very mm. soon. So just having options, something that somebody told me that really made sense to me was you haven't stopped drinking. You've just stopped drinking alcohol. Mm. It doesn't mean you're going to go out and just drink a water or drink a cordial. You, by having options, it allows you to still go out, feel like you're part of it. I think quite often the thing that just feels like you're not part of it is going and getting a soda water. Mm. Whereas if you can get something that still feels like you're having a drink that has a bit of tang to it, but it just doesn't have the alcohol in it, it makes you feel like more of the group. And something as well that I noticed was going out and watching people drunk around me with zero judgment at all, but just seeing myself in them and going like, wow, that's how I've been for the last 10 Mm. years, like every second weekend. Like for one, it doesn't look healthy, but for two, like the amount of things that I would have said that are probably not aligned with who I am as a person and who Mm. I am and the values that I hold was quite just eye opening. Like, Like I said, absolutely no judgment. Like I understand that there's so many positives that can come out of going out, experiencing, um, good nights out with your friends and alcohol can, be a big part of that but for me i'm just starting to realize that you don't need to drink alcohol to go out and have fun i've still like i said before been going out watching friends dj going to music festivals and having a great time but then going home and still waking up and doing stuff on a sunday Mm. um i forgot where oh actually so what am i doing after i haven't made any plans it's still so far away Mm. i think I'll definitely try our non I mean our new gravity seltzer flavors once I get to <laughs> have a drink. Um but yeah, I'm not I might have I don't know, maybe a party for my 29th and have two drinks and pass out, who knows, <laughs> but I definitely think like you said the relationship and the understanding of what alcohol is has changed quite a lot for me by doing this challenge I have started to look into different podcasts like the Huberman Lab and listen up on a different kind of perspective and understanding of alcohol and just sort of question why alcohol companies can market all day every day everywhere that hey have this but drink responsibly it's like Mm. well we know that alcohol is poison we know the negative effects it has on individuals and communities yet it's still the most marketed thing in the world and also like things like there's reports that show that domestic violence rises when football grand finals are on which are obviously things that are fueled by alcohol so we know that people are you know, I mean, domestic violence is rising mm. because of alcohol, yet we're still massively mass promoting it everywhere. So I think we need to, yeah, just start to question why that's allowed and why, um, yeah, everything, the cornerstone of basically every interaction we have, if it's with our friends, alcohol is generally involved. Mm. Yeah, it's funny, like, looking at those ads of, like, alcohol companies and then drink responsibly is usually just very yeah. in the fine print somewhere down at the bottom. <laughs> um but yeah, it's true. I mean, I've seen, I think like Jordan Peterson's talked about like a lot of, yeah, I guess like violent crimes, like how alcohol is often sort of involved. And then you've got sort of, I guess you get, you know, you get sexual assault cases where people have been drunk and consent is sort of lost somewhere amongst um, the liquor. Um, 
What would you say your big, I guess maybe your biggest takeaways have been from being um, sober for the past six months? Like, what are the sort of like light bulb moments that you've experienced? I think most of the stuff I've talked about already, just the idea that you don't need alcohol to have a good time. Mm. That's something that I'm beginning to really understand. Um, also, just the awareness around, like I just mentioned, that we're fighting a bit of an uphill battle. Everywhere you look, it's like, hey, have this drink. Hey, have that drink. It's like, well, no, I want to take back control. I want to be the one who's the boss of my actions, not the marketing that's all around me, as much as we don't realise, but subconsciously that's making our decisions for us. So just having that awareness has been a big one. And then also just the education. I feel like we are so uneducated mm. around alcohol and it takes us to take some responsibility. And I'm hoping that the podcast that I put out is educating or at least pushing people in the right direction to find resources that work for them and understand the effects of it. And like I said, I don't think alcohol should be cut out of the world. I just think people need to be making better decisions based on information that they're not receiving. So mm. I think... It comes back to podcasts like this, just sort of talking around it and understanding that, hey, alcohol's fine, but not in the consumption rates that most of us are having. Like Andrew Huberman talks about, if you have up to six drinks or seven drinks a week, you're classified a chronic drinker. Whereas mm. in Australia, it's like, that's a normal Saturday for most people. <laughs> so it's like, I was having, you know I mean? Two or three beers, two or three nights a week. And then on the weekends having drinks. So understanding that, yeah, a drink or two every couple of weeks is fine, but having benders every weekend, mm. probably not so good. Yeah, it's just taking your power back, I guess. Because, yeah, like these, I mean, uh, there's no sort of, there would be no sort of incentive for to, to ban alcohol anyway. I mean, the government taxes it through the roof. Already, you know, it's a good way to get some money. But, um, yeah, it's, I, I'm more for, yeah, like, yeah, for people to sort of take the power back and sort of, you know, step outside and have a look at like is this best serving me and then even yeah with going out for a lot of people it's just you know not wanting to sort of look either look like they're fitting in just with a drink or just you know they go with a glass of water it's like oh what are you drinking why are you drinking water why are you drinking soda water it's just we're always sort of like why picking down the person who's not drinking is like there's something wrong with them when it's just like it's a choice like if yeah. you don't want to drink it's like the drink. one drug that we know is terrible for us that mm. you're looked at as a weirdo if you don't take it yeah it's, it's like the, it's very socially acceptable yeah <laughs> it's so interesting the way that it's become socially like that if you don't drink there's like oh why not there's something mm. wrong with you it's like no i'm just taking care of myself yeah <laughs> but, yeah and then people why, why would you do that <laughs> yeah and it makes people feel insecure about mm. themselves and i think that's something that people need to realize is I love this quote by Jocko Willing, discipline equals freedom. And if you don't have the discipline to say no because your friends say, oh, no, we've got this event on, come on this weekend, like you're not really free. Mm. We all value freedom, but it's like, well, if you don't have the freedom to say no to decisions like drinking alcohol every weekend, if you don't have the sort of discipline to say no when your friends are all drinking, the discipline to say no when you go to a pub, then you're not really free. You're Mm. at the sort of reigns of what else like all everything else going on in your life mm. and so we'll go to i guess the good human factory which is your um company um mental health done a little different and i think i mean in, in my experience past drinker dealing with my mental health one of the my options is always just to turn to the bottle so i guess we'll i think you've got some good sort of uh, different uh remedies that would be different i guess if people are struggling with their mental health so how did the Good Human Factory sort of come about? 
Oh, so the good human factor is sorry. I love getting to tell this. <laughs> so when I was quite young, I lost an uncle to suicide and had watched my dad suffer from things like alcohol addiction and depression throughout my teen years and always had a very strong awareness that mental health might be a topic or something that I need to take care of in my life. So I was always quite curious and forward thinking with finding different little things that I could do to improve my mindset, whether it be for my athletic performance or just my overall well-being. So that was throughout my early 20s. I kind of was always working on this sort of stuff, self-development and was on a bit of a journey yeah, from like 22 to 25 doing that. And then when I was 25, like three years ago, my youngest sister was in a, I've got three sisters and my youngest one was in her last year of high school and she came home one day and me and my other um, three sisters and mum and dad were sitting around the dinner table and my younger sister, Sophia, said she lost a friend to suicide at school that day and I was like, far out, like this should not be happening to young kids in this mm. beautiful part of the world where I grew up in Sydney and as we all do, like, oh, I wish I could have done something about it. Two weeks later, she comes home and said another friend had taken his life. And I was just like, this sucks. Like, I'm traveling the world as a pro surfer. I've got not a worry in the world. I've got the best life ever. Like, what am I doing to help these kids in my community? So that was when the Good Human Factory was born. I was like, screw it. I'm going to put together a workshop with the different things that I've learned across my journey as a professional athlete through working with sports psychologists and doing quite a lot of self-research and self-discovery. And yeah, I went and did a few little workshops at my old school that I went to and then thought it was going to take off a lot quicker and bigger than it did. And then COVID hit, which allowed me to really put a bit more time and energy into it because the first year and a half, I was kind of juggling 50 hours of carpentry work with saving money to try and get over to my next surf event all mm -hmm. around the world all year because I didn't have a sponsor. Mm -hmm. And then the Good Human Factory was kind of just like this little tiny oh, someone, like one of the schools that I've reached out to wants me to come in. Whereas then COVID hit, all my surf comps got cancelled and that kind of has been since it really took off. 2020 was when I actually got to put a bit more time and effort into it. I began to build all the different pillars from the workshops I run with corporate and high school students. Mm -hmm. has been incredible. Over the last 18 months, I've spoken to 20,000 students and spoken to over three or 4,000 corporate um, clients, which has been just so cool to mm. talk about mental health in a way that's a little less confronting. So often in the mental health industry, people come in and talk about mental illness, whereas my whole approach is talking about mental health. Mental health is something all of us have mm. and it's something we should all take care of. And most of the time you mention mental health to someone, they go, oh, I don't need that. It's like, well, no, you do. We all have mental health. Mm. Just 20% of us have mental illness. And I don't see myself as a psychologist. I definitely don't have that qualification behind me. But I definitely feel like by um, sharing my stories, by talking to other people on my podcast, I can inspire people to take action themselves. Um, but yes, yeah, so I've got the workshops. I do a podcast. Obviously, I've spoken about that a few times on here, speaking to incredible people. Have an ambassador group of um, young Australian and um, about to be global ambassadors that are just trying to make mental health cool and show mm. that mental health isn't, just this kind of like, oh, depression, anxiety, suicide chat. It's also things like gratitude, meditation, mindfulness, kindness, all these different positive values that we can live by, that the byproduct is good mental health, whereas we're so often coming at mental health as mental illness and looking for a problem and then putting a Band-Aid on it, whereas I'm more about encouraging people to develop those daily habits and maintain a good solid baseline for their mental health. Yeah, awesome. And you'd say your day, the daily habits of mindfulness, gratitude and meditation are good sort of core sort of values that to sort of implement every day? Absolutely. I think something that I've come up with and that I try and do every single day is 10 minutes of meditation in the morning, 
four minutes of gratitude at night. So that's 14 minutes a day, which when you break down 14 minutes, that's 1% of a 24-hour day. Mm-hmm. So the whole concept is giving at least 1% of your day to your mental health. So I created these things on Instagram called the 1% Good Club. So if you have an accountability group, you're 800% more likely to maintain a new habit. So I started these groups 475 days ago, the day of recording this. And every single morning for the last year, year and a half, I've sent a guide, a 10 minute meditation in the morning to the groups. And then every night I write three things I'm grateful for and everyone writes their things they're grateful for and turns into a little gratitude train. Mm -hmm. Each week there's over three and a half thousand gratitudes written in now, which is just phenomenal. There's over a thousand members in the group, Mm. um, in, in the group chats. I think there's nine group chats now, which is just so cool to see a community of people. Yeah. Giving 1% of their day to their mental health, which is something that, Hopefully everyone listening right now and you can agree, we should be able to give at least 1% of our day to our mental health. It's mm. obviously a big problem and an um, epidemic that's going on globally that 20% of people are going to have a mental illness in Australia and I think that number should be lower. So hopefully if we can continue to encourage people to take a bit of responsibility and take action themselves, we can start to see that number decline. Yeah, and I guess yeah, framing it that way, 1% of your day, because you know, I think most people probably dedicate more than 1% of the day to, to hitting the pub or getting on the piss. So, yeah, dedicating 1, 1% of your day to your mental health, I think, is, a, is, an, awesome, um, is an awesome sort of uh, yeah, concept to push just, forward. It's an for easy sure. baseline. And most people will be sitting there going, oh, I don't have 10 minutes to meditate. I don't have the time. If you're listening right now and you can go on your screen time on your phone mm. and it's less than 30 minutes a day on social media, then sure, you might not have enough time. But mm. I can almost guarantee every single person across different social media apps will have more than 30 minutes on there a day. Yeah, yeah. So you're giving more of your attention and your time to somebody else and liking their photo than giving it to yourself. Mm. It's like we've been so distracted from actually focusing on the relationship we have with ourselves, And it's something that I personally think is one of the main reasons why mental health is at a decline because we're not taking time to sit with ourselves to reflect and to understand how we're actually feeling before it gets too late and we bottle everything up and we push it to the side, we drink, we go on our phone to distract ourselves Mm. and then we get to that negative end of the mental health spectrum and kind of freak out and then end up going to having to use the great resources we do have here. But it's like, no, we need to start taking responsibility and realising mental health isn't a destination, it's a journey. It's every single day we have to maintain doing different things. Mm. Do you think because... Like I think we're a similar age. I'm 32 and you're 28. That because you know there's that saying of like you know you get to a certain age and you just get set in your ways with a lot of things. That like focusing on your mental health. I guess how we're more sort of openly discussing it in the public forum now. Um, is that more of a sort of reason why you sort of like to? I guess you do go into a lot of high schools and stuff and talk to high school kids about this sort of thing to sort of get them sort of. Um, do you think getting them sort of focused on it? in those formative years is is better as well and then i guess so then they're sort of working on it as they go through yeah i think just exposure from a young age to exactly what i've been talking about showing people that mental health isn't mental illness is super important and as well just trying to encourage people to adapt a growth mindset like just then you said people are set in their ways and the way i like to look at it you can either kind of go through life on a linear or you can grow through life and if you look at that on a graph life continually gets better if you continually grow and you find new things and you experience new things and open your mind to new things happening and be curious and for instance my mum was always in oh, mental health like get over it blah, blah blah with my dad but ever since doing the one percent good club she after about two months was like oh join me into one of those things that you always post about and I put her in and she's yeah 350 days in a row of meditating every single day sending her gratitudes in every single night and like I said my mum was that one who was kind of I'll get over it, mental health isn't a thing for mm. quite a lot of time. 
growing up but now she yeah is meditating and doing gratitude every day so if you think oh it's not for me it's like the best time to plant a tree is 20 years ago the second best time to plant a tree is today so mm-hmm. same thing with mental health if you go oh it's not for me i haven't done it for so long it doesn't matter the next best time to start something is today mm. yeah so as we've, as we've discussed one percent of your day dedicated to your mental health so if you've got time to listen to this well finish listening to it and then go handle your mental health afterwards <laughs> yeah yeah and if anyone wants to join that one percent good club and get a bit of accountability just send at the good human factory a direct message on instagram saying i want to join the club and yeah you get added into a group of yeah 900 people who are just giving that one percent of their day to their mental health mm. yeah and we'll be putting all the links to all the all your stuff in the in the podcast episode so is the good human if the good human factory was a factory i don't think it is it's not a factory yet you're building a factory um what are the key ingredients to a good human i think the first step is self-awareness understanding that we have the choice every single day do we want to be the victim or the hero of our story do you want to wake up and try and find things to blame and try and have an excuse why you can't achieve your dreams and um so often there is incredible excuses out there there is the things that come up in our life that do slow us down but the more that we can have an understanding that we can create create our future if we're putting the right foot in front every single day if we're taking responsibility so first step is the awareness and then the second step is taking responsibility and going you know what i'm the one who has to start taking the ball into my court we can continue to blame we can continue to not sort of think it's our fault why we don't achieve but once you sort of flip that mindset I think it's a massive changer. And then as well, trying to just live life through a gratitude mindset, looking for things in your life that are going well than things that aren't going well. Once again, we're kind of fighting this uphill battle where you look around and we're marketed thousands of times every single day, which has never happened to us before, which it's crazy we don't get talked about this. Up until our iPhones, what, the last eight to 10 years, humans might have got marketed a handful of times a day, maybe mm. a bit more just by driving past stuff. Now we're getting thousands of things a day telling you, when you get this, then you'll be happy. When you go on this holiday, then you'll be happy. Buy this new Balenciaga shirt, that'll make you happy. Upgrade your phone, upgrade your computer, that'll make you happy. Even if it doesn't say it'll make you happy, that's the concept of what mm. marketing is. And as humans, we've never been bombarded with so much telling us, oh, you need this to be happy. And it's, I believe it's all wrong. And mm. I think it's been mixed up so much for us to understand that, that we already have enough to be happy if we begin to look at what we have rather than what we don't have because mm. you're never going to have everything. Mm. And the more that you can take time to appreciate what you do have rather than what you don't have, huge changer. For instance, when I was a kid, my dad always said to me, appreciation, not expectation. The more I can appreciate stuff rather than expect things to happen to me, the better off I'm going to be. Um, so there are a couple little pillars as well. Like I said, just trying to be mindful every single day, checking with yourself, understanding that you have to build a relationship with what's going on up in your thoughts, up in your mind. You're going to be with them from the day you're born to the day you die. It's so important that we begin to detach from the negative and understand that quite often, if not up to 70% of the time, our thoughts are negative and most of them are untrue anyway. So mm-hmm. trying to yeah, develop different techniques, whether it be seeing... Um, psychologist and getting some skills from them whether it be taking some initiative yourself and picking up some self-development books and just having an open mind to different ways of thinking and feeling because so many people become trapped i think and don't really have the like i said step one the awareness to make some changes Mm. that's great and i guess i'll come back to sort of uh 
do you have any sort of tips for people um, with um, if they're looking to make a change with regards to their drinking? So they want to sort of, okay, I want to quit for 12 months like Cooper. Do you have any sort of tips on how people can get started doing that? I think a great place to start is just to educate yourself. Start mm. to realize the effects of alcohol. There's a great podcast with Andrew Huberman. It was... Oh, a couple months ago now. But yeah, yeah, the alcohol one. Yeah, the alcohol one. one. Incredible. Yeah. So that was a big eye-opener for me to go like, oh, okay, it's really bad for me. So that's the first step. And then just starting to question like how often you're drinking and just be yeah. like, why am I drinking? If it's to escape, maybe I need to kind of see what I'm trying to escape from first. Mm. And so many of us, yeah, are just trying to get out of reality, which I can understand because reality can be tough sometimes. But... Mm. I mean, the best tip for me is just to know that you're doing it for yourself. Mm. Know that when somebody tries to press you and go, come on, like, surely just have a beer. Like, oh, no, you got to know. Like, most of the things that people say, like, oh, I've got so many, I've got like three weddings coming up this month. It's like, you don't have to drink. You mm. Like, we think, oh, no, we have to, to have a good time. It's like, well, I kind of like just look at it like a challenge now. And mm. like when people try and pressure me, I kind of like laugh at it. I'm like, no, nah, it's fine. Like, what's going on in your life that you really need me to come and drink with you? Like, so often it is a reflection on what's going on in somebody else's life to drag us into their mm. situation. And you can still be there for your friends and hang out with them without having a drink if they really want to have a drink because they're struggling. So mm. I think just realizing that you're doing it for yourself and anybody who isn't supportive of that, you just have to really realize that they're not being supportive of you making a positive change for yourself. Mm. Yeah, so many people have attached a good time with alcohol. Like, mm. I can't have a good time without alcohol. And we've had a few, I mean, I've had a few interactions with people online about that. And it's, it's, kind, of, yeah, it's kind of strange because, I mean, I used to think that way. And then I've come out to the other side was just like, well, can I have a good time without it? And I've had to find ways to do that. And it's, yeah, it's just like a challenge, like you said, you know, that I guess a lot of people aren't willing to sort of look, look behind the door and see if, if they can even do that. Mm, they're like so reliant on it. It's <laughs> like that freedom thing I said before. It's like by saying, "Oh, I'm, no, I'm free. I can go to the pub whenever I want." It's like, yeah, but if you can't, if you can't not go, mm. then it's the exact same position you're in before that you think you can. But it's like if you can't, it's just as bad as knowing that you can. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, some people, yeah, I can go to the pub whenever I want. But it's like, yeah, but you're still there every weekend. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's like, but can you not go there every weekend? Mm. Yeah, I can. It's like, all right, well, let's see you do it for two months. Or no, I don't want to. It's like, well, yeah, you don't want to, but you also can't. It's like, mm. well, I can, but it's like, well, show me. Yeah, yeah. It's just <laughs> yeah, step yourself. up and show me, yeah. Or even just going and, not, and just yeah. yeah, having water, having a soda water, having non-alcoholic beverage, which, yeah, I mean, they're starting to sort of pop up here and there now as I've sort of discovered being on my journey what is this here this um a, the brain drink we got here a rapper so a rapper's is um brain performance neuroscience drink they actually sponsor my podcast they're mm -hmm. um from over in new zealand they're legends um and yeah they basically i mean i don't want to say an energy drink but that one of the owners used to work for an energy drink company and was like i'm literally just promoting poison to people <laughs> and then he's um grandpa was suffering from alzheimer's and he was like surely like there can be something that's positive for our brain that actually makes sense and has positive effects for our body like a nootropic and performance drink but doesn't have any of the negative stuff in it so they went on this journey and um, employed one of the best neuroscientists in the world when it comes to nootropics and um, different foods and things that affect our body this guy professor andrew scully i actually had him on my podcast which is really interesting mm -hmm. And yeah, they've spent $5 million on clinical studies to prove against um, double-blind placebos that their drink 
works to improve brain, brain clarity, improve um, focus, calm you. It's got L-theanine in to calm you, which is a um, calming agent in green mm-hmm. tea. It has enzoginol, which is in pine bark extract, which is, I can't remember which that's for, but basically it's just good for your brain long-term. And then also a New Zealand neuroberry. So it kind of tastes like a ribena. Um, and looks like a Ribena, yeah. but it's, um, yeah, full like neuroscience back drink with all these different um, positive things in it really. So, yeah, they support my podcast, which has been really cool to have mm-hmm. someone who's really into improving people's lives, whether mm-hmm. it be um, for performance or their long-term brain health. So it's been really nice working with them. And for me, like sitting down for doing podcasts and stuff like this, it just fires me up to be mm-hmm. focused and be able to talk like I'm underwater. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's interesting, yeah, coming, I guess there being more products where I guess if people are shifting more to become more health focused, I mean, I mean, the communities that I'm in here is a lot of people, yeah, there's a lot of exercising and people are focused on their health. So that's kind of helped me shift away from sort of finding people who are more sort of not interested in partying and drinking is sort of being in more sort of health conscious uh, places and then sort of seeing, I guess, companies invest, you know, looking to make products that, yeah, like, aren't sort of poison to to us which is like a lot of a lot of things they might be slowly sort of poisoning us but you know i think it's good to sort of see stuff like that come out um i never sort of i've never sort of seen it it'd be cool to try it out yeah sometime. i should have brought you on i yeah. had some in the car so i was like walking in i was like oh i should have one get me <laughs> pumped up for this podcast Cuff but up. i'll um if you walk me out of my car after i'll give you a couple yeah oh sweet as well cheers for coming cooper uh, it's been an awesome little chat uh, this afternoon, oh, this morning, this afternoon, this morning, yeah, <laughs> beginning with time. It's a beautiful day outside, so I think we better we better get it, better get back out amongst it and get enjoy the sunshine before the rain comes back. But before we end, we always end with a high note. Do you have a funny, embarrassing story of yourself when you've been on the alcohol to share with us today? Yeah, I've, I've got a pretty good one. So when I, so when I've just finished high school, I was seventeen and went to Bali for schoolies and run a mark, had a great time with all my mates. And then when I, f- I had to fly home a day early because it was my dad's 50th and we went on a family cruise. It was the first time I'd ever been on a cruise. Mm-hmm. So I'd just been in Bali thinking I'm a bloody legend, underage, no worries drinking over there. But then come home and we get on the boat and I was like, oh, I'll be sweet. Like I'll have some beers. I felt like as an adult. And when we get on the boat, they give us like a key card that you use to purchase anything on the boat. And because you check in with your passport, mine got the underage red card, not the blue card that you mm. could buy drinks. And I was like so pissed off with my parents. Like, I'm not getting on, I'm not going on. Gonna... Anyway, so I ended up getting on the boat and being pretty disappointed for the first day or two. And then my older sister met these kind of young guys that would have been in their early 20s and we all became good mates and I'd like be sneaking beers and whatever with them. But then this one day we stopped in at Fiji on the cruise and went into the land and I got my hair braided, like pretty funny. <laughs> anyway, and then we had like kava on the land and anyone who doesn't know what kava is, it's like this like root ceremonial kind of tea drink that you have like in mm. Fiji. And we had a little bit of that, but I wasn't drunk at all of that. And sometimes it can make you like kind of tipsy. It's not alcoholic. I don't really understand it. But anyway, mm. so that night it was on the boat, it was Hawaiian night. And it was like there was a dance party up on the top deck for the boat and these couple young guys and my sister and me were like, oh, Hawaiian night, we'll get bottles of wine. And the boys were like, here, we'll go down to my room and we'll drink a bunch of wine. So we snuck into the, I like went into their room, no cameras and stuff in their room, ended up drinking a bunch of wine. And then we came out and we're up on the top deck doing this dance party and I'm maggot and I'm just like <laughs> up there like dancing and they eliminate me from this dance competition and I get all like angry about it and I like brown eye the... Um, 
the camera or the judges or something. Mm. Anyway, and then the security, like, you got to go to bed, mate. You're too drunk, blah, blah, blah. And they put me in bed. And that was kind of, I thought, the end of it. And I, like, that night, just, like, so sick in the bathroom. And then we get a note under the door the next morning of our um, cabin on the cruise ship. Mr. and Mrs. Chapman, can you and um, passenger Cooper Chapman please meet in the captain's office at 3 p.m. this afternoon to talk about his actions on the... <laughs> oh, and then I was just like, oh, God, like, I hate getting in trouble. I'm, like, the biggest goody-goody ever. And uh, I was just like, oh, shit, like, I'm in trouble here. And then we go down to the captain's thing and, like, have a chat to him. And mum and dad are like, just be honest. Like, they're not going to... And I was like, screw that. I'm not going to admit that I was drinking. Like, they might try and, like, get me in trouble for underage mm, drinking. Yeah. And they're like, oh, we have footage of you going into this room at this time. And they had bottles of wine in their hand and you left stumbling. I was like, so? You can't prove anything. Like, I didn't drink. <laughs> and they're like, uh, well, we need you to be honest here. And I was just like, well, I mean, if you can't prove it, then it doesn't matter. And I was like, I had some carver on the... Um, shore in Fiji maybe that was kind of why I was feeling a bit wobbly mm. and they're like oh, okay and let me go but yeah that was my um my story of yeah. drinking but I'm a bit different uh, probably <laughs> not very honest and in, not very good integrity which is something I pride myself on but that was 12 years ago Cooper I was a bit different yeah, yeah. Cooper today I was a rebellious teenager Cooper <laughs> that's know. it yeah, I, I think he's grown a lot since then and become a good human now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was um, good fun. But no, nah, man, thanks heaps for having me on. It's been great to have a chat. Yeah, it's great to have you, Cooper. Cheers. Well, this has been The Last Drinks Podcast. I'm Will Hitchens and we'll see you in the next one. Ta-ta. Beautiful. Awesome. Nailed it.